So we're in a series called Relationship Goals, where we're talking about how to get better in a lot of different relationships that we have on an everyday basis. So, so far we've talked about how to be great friends, how to be great parents, and last week we talked about how to have a great marriage. Now today what I want to focus on is work. And I realize there are some people who are maybe beyond the work years, maybe you're enjoying retirement, but I think every one of us finds work in our life. For some, that means serving and volunteering, maybe in ways you've never done before. Others, maybe still punch in on the clock and go into work each and every day. And so we're going to talk about what God's word has to say about becoming and being great co-workers. Now, people often have a variety of opinions on work. Some people can't wait to get in. Other people dread Mondays when they have to go back to work. Now, oftentimes, our feelings about work are tied pretty closely to who we actually work with. Our coworkers, our supervisors, our bosses, our clients, our customers— And just like we talked about last week, we can't change anyone else, even though we wish we could. It's not possible. But what we can do is change ourselves. We can change our perspectives and become the people that God intends for us to be. Now, the kind of coworkers and the kind of workers that we decide to be can actually have a huge impact on others. Now, it brings glory to God, but it also can build other people up, and it can even show them what the gospel looks like in action. Now, to better understand how we can become better workers and better co-workers, I think we need to start with some very basic things. And so if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we see right off the bat that work is something that God himself does. And he enjoys creating. And when he creates new things, he says that they are good. We see that his work has dignity and it has importance and it reflects his character. And so when God puts the man and woman into the garden, he gives them a job. It's not a vacation. He gives them a job to do. They're to care for all of creation, and they actually become his co-creators. Now, this means, when you think about it, that in absolute paradise, there's work. There's work to do with other people, and that is good. Paradise isn't just sitting back in a hammock with an umbrella drink, even though maybe that's what we imagine. No matter how much you despise your alarm clock, work is a good creation of God. There's a true story that's told about Martin Luther, the reformer who lived many centuries ago. And he was approached by a man who had a question. He wanted to know how he could serve God better. So Luther asked him, well, what is your work Now, and the man said, Well, I make shoes. And much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther replied, Well, then make good quality shoes and sell them at a fair price. 
Luther didn't tell him to make Lutheran shoes or to make Christian shoes or to put big crosses on the side of the shoes. He didn't tell him to leave his business behind and go become a monk. As Christians, we can faithfully serve God in a variety of vocations and jobs. And we don't need to justify what we do in terms of what's more spiritual than something else. We're to simply pursue our calling and to glorify God with all that we do and to have his heart and his goals and his standards in the process. Now, you need to understand what this means. It's that each of us has a vocation, which is a calling from God. Every talent, every gift that God gives to us is able to be used to further his kingdom and to bring him glory. Now, Paul has something big that he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it's key, whatever you do, no matter what it is, do it all for the glory of God. There's no vocation that's better than another. Every person is able to bring glory to God and to join him on his mission. Now, just like Paul talks about many times where the body of Christ has many different parts, God's kingdom has many, many different roles that can help expand its power and its influence now also remember in the book of Genesis, we're told that we are created in the image of God and we're to reflect him and to live out his values. And so that means we're, we're invited to join with the work that he is doing in the world. You see, work is so much more than just trying to get a paycheck. Our work is a calling from God. It's an opportunity to reflect God's glory, and God's character. But if we're being honest, this sounds very utopian and a little unrealistic, probably much different than we typically experience on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, you might be thinking, but I hate my work. I'm stressed, I'm frustrated, I get worried about the economy, I would do anything to have a different job or to not have a job at all. You know, I'd rather not have to deal with the rude comments that come from the cubicles nearby mine. You know, I'd rather be assigned to a different project that I'm on right now with a whole different team of people that I have to work with. There's a story told about a little girl who had two busy professional parents and they were always rushing around. They were always stressed out. So at the beginning of the school year, it was first grade for this little girl, and she had to have her pictures taken. And so the photographer wanted to make each of the kids feel comfortable. So she tried to make some small talk. And she asked the little girl, so what are you going to be when you grow up? And the little girl shook her head and said, tired. You see, the Bible is totally realistic about the nature of work. And it actually explains what happened to work. You see, when sin entered the picture, through our rebellion against God, something also happened to work. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 3. Work came under a curse, and it became a hardship, and it became a burden 
that we have to deal with. Genesis 3 talks about how God cursed the ground. Instead of cursing Adam and Eve, it's incredibly graceful what he did. But then God told them, told Adam and Eve that working the land from then on was going to be painful and difficult. And that we would all have to work hard to survive until our last days on earth. Sin entered the picture and work became cursed. But God sent Jesus into our broken world as an act of grace. And through his work on the cross, everything changed. You see, Jesus' perfect work changes the nature of our work. It's because in him we can find real meaning and real identity and real purpose, and we can join his work in redeeming the world. You see, really, only God can take something that's so broken and so heavy and redeem it for good. Now, also remember, Jesus has this incredible offer for us. He says, come to me if you're weary or if you're heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, after carrying all the burdens that we carry, the stress, the frustration, the disappointment, I think we need his rest. You see, Jesus can bring us freedom from that stress, from that frustration, from the interpersonal conflict we sometimes have with the people we work with. Ultimately, freedom is seeing that work isn't really about us. It's about serving God, and it's about serving other people. It's an invitation to be a part of what he's already doing in the world. And so church, the key to remember is you don't just have a job or a career or something to endure until retirement or just volunteering after retirement. No, you have something more. You have a God-given calling on your life. God has placed you right where you are at on purpose. And there are things that only you can do. There are people that only you can reach. God has placed you where you are to serve others in ways that only you can. Now think about where you're placed today. Think about your circumstances. Now what if you started thinking about what you are doing in your everyday life as a calling, as a ministry? How might that impact how you think about your job? How might that impact how you approach your volunteer opportunities? How might that impact how you relate to your coworkers? Well, you've probably never heard of a man named William Wilberts before. He's not rich and he's not famous. Still, he received an honor normally reserved for the connected and the powerful and the wealthy. On December 2nd, 2004, the city of Chicago designated a street along the Magnificent Mile as Wilbert Williams Way. The honor was in celebration of his upcoming retirement. So you might wonder, well, what did something, someone like Williams have to do to have a street named after him in downtown Chicago? Well, the question becomes even that much more compelling when you realize for, that for 40 years, Wilbert Will Williams worked as a doorman. 
He was a doorman at the Women's Athletic Club in downtown Chicago. Now think about normally having a street named after someone goes for someone whose doors are held open for them, not someone who actually holds the doors for other people. So what set Williams apart then? Well, he carried out his duties in exemplary fashion. He had newspaper articles written about him. There was a police officer who was quoted as saying, in all of these years, I've never heard him speak a harsh word about anyone. He's simply a gentleman. Through his kindness and his service to others, Williams made an impact on those that he met at the corner of Michigan and Ontario. And commenting why he has always went out of his way to help tourists, pointing them in the right direction, Williams said, well, if I was in a different city, I'd want someone to help me. Now, having a street named after yourself is pretty impressive. But how much greater the honor that God promises to give those who serve him well. He says he will give it an eternal inheritance that will never spoil or fade away. Look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Paul writes, whatever you do, right? just stop there for a moment, whatever you do, that's a broad category, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now let's break that down for a moment. Again, it starts with whatever you do. It's so comprehensive. Whatever you do, no matter what your vocation, no matter what your job is, Now notice Paul is writing this to some servants who lived in the first century. And think about all the things that servants were required to do. Their bosses could ask them to do everything from working in the fields to caring for their children to shoveling manure to managing money or property. And the same attitude applies to us as servants of the living God who is our boss He's saying, so whatever you do, wherever you volunteer, whoever you meet with, whoever you teach, whatever you write, whatever you sell, whatever classes you attend, whatever homework you have to do, whatever mess you have to clean up, whatever parenting challenges you are facing, whatever interaction you have with a coworker, he then goes on to say, work at it with all your heart. Now that phrase, with all your heart, biblically means your whole being, your whole person. It's the same way that we're told to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's really the language of worship. Our work can be an act of worship to God. And so when we choose to serve our bosses and our customers and our coworkers with the same devotion and passion that we serve and worship God, well, do you think that would have a difference, make a difference in their lives? Do you think that might be an effective way for someone to even meet Jesus? Well, who are the people and what are the situations that God has put right in front of you 
where you can represent and serve God as an act of worship. I mean, think about the meetings you might have coming up this week. Think about your next performance review that you have to conduct. Think about your next Zoom call or your next project that's due. Think about that new hire at your place of work who needs a mentor. Think about that college kid who needs a foot in the door. Paul reminds us, whatever it is, work at it with all your heart. It's an act of worship. Well, then Paul goes on to say, it is Jesus that you are serving. It's not a corporation, not a CEO, not a manager, not a sales goal. Ultimately, Jesus is our most important boss. Use the gifts and talents and personality that he's given you to work for him. Find every way that you possibly can to glorify him in your work. But this is also a reminder, I think, that we can see Jesus in every person that we relate to. And I think this has really one of the biggest potentials to change the way that we interact and the way that we see our coworkers. If we would see Jesus in them. Now, this goes for even the ones who get on your nerves the one who leaves a mess in the kitchen day after day, the one who doesn't pull their weight on the project, we need to learn to see Jesus even in them. And it means we need to treat our coworkers exactly the way that we want to be treated. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Now, that one verse is so rich, and it applies to so many ways that we interact with our coworkers. But I want to pull out just a few practical thoughts that apply to this verse. Number one, when it comes to our coworkers, don't use people to get ahead. You know, too often what we find ourselves doing is using others to try to get ourselves into another position, to try to advance our own agenda. People are not meant to be used. Number two, take an interest in other people. Care enough to invest in other people's lives. Get to know them. Find out what their passions and their dreams are. Find out what's happening in their life so you can pray for them. Number three, be a cheerleader for others. You know, what are the ways that you can encourage people? What are the ways that you can cheer people on instead of falling into jealousy or conceit? Instead, lift other people up. And then number four, remember you are an ambassador for Jesus. Depending on your situation or what your workplace is like, you may or may not be able to talk outwardly about your faith, but you can still model the gospel in how you interact with others, in how you conduct yourself. And you know what? You might be the only Christian that someone at your workplace ever comes in contact with on a day-to-day basis. 
Well, then Paul says, finally, after all of this, you will receive an inheritance. Now, the thing about an inheritance is it isn't immediate. It usually takes some waiting. And we live in a world that's all about instant gratification. You know, where's my bonus? Where's my recognition? Where's my promotion? I want it right now. Or where is the justice in all of the hardships and the frustrations and the agony that I have to put up with right now? But Paul's reminding us that we have a real inheritance, not just some small sum of money. Our inheritance, though, comes from the creator of the entire universe. Now, what do you have to do to get in on this kind of inheritance? Well, put your trust in Jesus. Be adopted into his family and receive a job and a key role on his team. Well, in closing, I want to focus a bit more on one practical goal that we can have. And I think we can put this into practice in our jobs, in our volunteer opportunities, and really in every relationship that we might have. So do you know what they call all the workers at Disneyland and Disney World, from groundskeepers to ride operators? They're called the cast. And they all have the same stated job to represent the magic of Disney. And at all times, they are called to exceed all expectations. And it goes for whatever role the cast might be playing, whether they're in management, whether they're selling stuff, whether they're selling food, whether they're picking up trash, whether they're just cleaning the grounds, they are to exceed all expectations. Now, a number of years ago, we were able to take our family on a trip down to Disney World in Florida. And we were staying at a hotel on site, and every morning I would go down to the central area, it was kind of along the waterfront, to get some coffee and to just enjoy the morning. And so I'd get my coffee and I'd walk out onto the sidewalk. And every single day we were there, there was a man named Juan who was out squeegeeing all of the water, all of the dew off of all of the picnic tables, one by one. But the thing was, he did it with this huge smile on his face. And he always commented about how beautiful the day was. You know, just being near Juan for a few minutes made my day that much better. You know, if Juan could find so much joy and satisfaction from a squeegee. I mean, how could I not glorify God, even amidst those super long lines, really expensive prices, and really tiring days? Now, according to one behind-the-scenes book, the three most common questions that cast members at Disney get in the Magic Kingdom Park are these. Number one, where's Mickey Mouse? Number two, where are the restrooms? And number three is when does the three o'clock parade start? Now imagine the wide range of responses that could be given to that third question, especially if you've been working the entire week and you are tired out. 
I mean, I can think of some pretty sarcastic responses that I might be tempted to give if someone would say, at what time is the three o'clock parade? But the cast members, remembering that their role is to be a part of representing the magic of Disney and also remembering that they are to exceed all expectations, they don't respond with something like, what a dumb question, listen to yourself. No, instead, they say something like, I'm so glad that you asked me that because you're going to want to make sure that you find your spot about a half hour in advance and make sure you stand on this side of the street so that when you take your pictures, the fairy tale castle will be framed perfectly in your pictures. Now, when the cast responds like that, do you think that the people feel valued? Do you think the guests are made to feel special? Do you think that cast member exceeds their expectations? I certainly do. So think about it this way, church. We are the cast in God's kingdom as it breaks through into this world. You and I are called to live out the good news of the gospel wherever we are called to be. And you and I are called to to exceed all expectations each and every day with our family, with our friends, and certainly with our coworkers. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you call each one of us to be on your team, that you give us each an important role in your kingdom. God, help us to remember that you are the one who has created work and that you've given it great importance and that you've gifted us with talents and personalities and, and things to be used to glorify you. God, as we interact with people in all of our relationships and especially our work and our volunteer relationships, God, help us to represent you well. Help us to encourage and to lift up and to build up the people around us so that they see you reflecting from us. And so God, help us to become the best coworkers that we can be. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen. Now today is our communion Sunday. And so as Cindy and Skip let you know at the beginning of the service, I hope that you have prepared your own elements at home, some bread, some wine or juice. And we are now gonna celebrate the communion meal together. And so we remember on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took a cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I now want to invite you in your homes, if there are more than one of you, to serve each other the communion meal. Remember, when you give the bread, you say, this is the body of Christ given for you. And when you give the wine or the juice, say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Or if you're watching by yourself today, I would invite you to take that bread in your hand and know that this is the body of Christ given for you. And you may eat that. And now take your juice or your wine and know this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And now you may drink. Now receive the blessing. Now may the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you in his grace. Receive the benediction. As you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over you, and within you to give you his love and his everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.